Surface Metal episode 95. This is another in my uh, Death Metal Gems series. I, I, I really enjoy going back and doing these ones. I don't know, as listeners, if you're totally sick of this, but once again, this will be harping on some uh, slightly lesser known albums, primarily from the early 90s, but I've got some going into the early 2000s as well. Also, don't read too much into the title, as I say every time with this. Um, these are albums that I think are really good and haven't heard a great deal of discussion about. Doesn't mean they're totally unknown or you know ridiculously underground. I do expect you probably would have heard of a few of them. But they're just ones like I'd just like to have more of a discussion on because they're really cool and definitely uh, worthy of more attention than at least I personally see them getting. So to start with, I want to cover a band that was kind of touched on when I did that episode with Heavy Hole Podcast. I brought up the band Network, which was this kind of weird uh, amalgamation of like jazz fusion uh, musicians and like death slash thrash metal musicians all from the UK. Um, the death metal side of that band Network uh, were in the band Gamora, uh, the British thrash band Gamora, one of many bands by that name so i want to cover their stuff because their album's actually probably vastly superior to that network album even with maybe slightly less entertaining a story around it but yeah if you've never come across them uh gamora were a fairly short-lived uh sort of i, I say death fresh they've probably got a foot more in the death metal camp kind of band um Started in 1990 and put out a total of two albums from 1994 and 96 before splitting up. Earlier in this series, I covered the band Assorted Heap, and I feel Gamora have a similar trajectory in their career to them, where they have this first album that is, I'd say, sits kind of neatly in just a very well done death thrash metal, like they're kind of both of these short, kind of around half hour runtime, just really solidly written music. And then their second album gets more experimental, includes some, like, maybe less advisable influences, but produces some really interesting results. So let's talk about the first one there, their full-length debut, Reflections of Inanimate Matter. Uh, this, this album, like, it's got a lot going on in it. I really, like, while I say, yeah, it's simply within that, that kind of template, like a song like The Opener Without a Trace, you've got all your, your classic staples of the genre, like the, you know, really catchy riffs like these obvious like very obvious like modern death metal inspired solos uh the vocalist sven olafsson does a fantastic kind of very clear growl like i really really love his voice that's one of the things that highly sort of sells this album to me um yeah and just the overall package just sounds really good there's like really meaty bass tone throughout bass player john clark like really cuts through the mix and even gets like couple of his own moments to shine none of it's particularly sort of over the top like the musicianship is a very high standard but it's not it's not like something like network uh, the band sven also did vocals for where the musicianship is utterly ridiculous like this is this is grounded but they are certainly kind of playing playing to a very high degree while maybe not pushing themselves to the like, kind of absolute extent of a, like the absolute upper limit of their ability. Uh, lyrically, it's kind of interesting. I particularly like uh, the, the cover, Reflections of Inanimate Matter, has this kind of cool, like, sort of inverted uh, two worlds type picture. And, like, there, there's some... There's some more interesting ideas going on than your average 
death metal, I, I guess. Although track three, entitled Suicide, is as in sewer dash side is appalling wordplay. I can't believe it. Uh, there's touches of what would come. Like there, there's little ideas like sprinkled in throughout where they try something a bit different. I think it's in the track Deviant. There's like very be brief bit of like kind of almost Spanish guitar, like acoustic guitar thrown in at one point. Moments of keyboards. Um, and it actually some like really interesting effects in the bass towards the end of Human Trophies. But they don't let any of these ideas sit around for more than like 20 seconds. They're just like, oh, here's a slight detour from the death metal, then straight back to it. Um, one of the actually really interesting sort of breaks from the genre uh, we have is in the centerpiece of the album, Another Bleak Horizon, an almost seven minute long track, where there is loads of these kind of horror movie kind of keyboards in certain points throughout the song. And it actually gets really slow and doomy. Which, um, being that Gamora are a British band, I I can't help but feel maybe there's an influence from the Peaceful Free on there. Like, so I would say, like, the, um, the sound of this album's really good. The production's done by, uh, production engineering, mixing, etc. is done by Paul Johnston, who did, like, all the Benediction albums, a lot of the, um, but, like, all the Cathedral EPs, um, uh, he's worked with, like, early Electric Wizard, like, a lot of uh, early Napalm Death, the Utopia Banished, um, he was an engineer on. So, like, a guy who sort of, had his foot on, in in like the camp of a lot of like the classic British bands of that era, so so you know maybe maybe like there's a bit of his influence coming in here, but yeah, I get a bit of that kind of you know a particularly kind of second album Paradise Lost sort of vibe to some of the riffing and lead work, um, but yeah, overall Reflections of Inanimate Matter is just a band doing this genre. Like, really, really spot on. Uh, Sven Olofsson's vocals, I think, are what kind of pushes it over the edge for me, just being something I really love. But by mix of that production, mixed with that excellent songwriting, little bits of variation, it's just a, a very well put together album. The only odd choice on it is the final track, Human Trophies, is rather than there being any vocals, essentially an instrumental, but made up entirely of samples, which, I don't know, and an album's only like 35 minutes long. It just seemed like a waste of a vocalist to like not let him sing on a song for, for seven minutes at the end of the album. But I, I mean, it's quite cool in that way. And, you know, 1994. So I guess the samples thing isn't quite as like played out or overdone as it can be these days. I think something's worth mentioning is um, so the the band kind of, you know, went on their way, like I assume breaking up not too long after after their second album but they have recently got a reissue of both the these albums when i say recently i think about 2015 actually uh, they had a reissue of them and the reissue of the first album contains something really interesting we get the embryonic stages demo from 1991 included with it and on this demo they had a different drummer athol hill who um was way more gifted like than than their current drummer like no, no offense, like I perfectly typed the album, but this guy was like, you know, when a band has that one musician who's so much ahead of everyone else in it. If you listen to like the last track on the demo, Lost in Luros, like he is playing at like another level. Like just like there is every kind of like every bar is a different sort of groove or fill he's throwing in. It's really kind of incredible stuff. So while it's a rather raw recording, that demo, like, certain, I don't know if it's something that's ever actually meant for um, 
official release uh like it's a good good point to go back and check out um they say in like the reissue notes that sven was always saying like it's a shame they actually had to drop that song because none of their later drummers could play it so it's like the best song they ever wrote <laughs> like never made it onto an album or at least yeah in his way of saying it although like really sadly with that they're saying both um Athol and then vocalist Fenn passed away a few years, or about a year before the re-release of this album. So, yeah, just like sort of a tragic bit of history around the band as well. And sadly, there would be you know, no chance of a, a reunion because of that. But you can at least go back and hear like the amazing music they took part in before it. And they were some really incredible talents. cover their second album as well uh caress the grotesque released two years after their debut in 1996 as i alluded to before um they make some weird choices in this album which i would say on paper would make it out to be kind of rubbish like but that's totally not what i get from it i, I actually really love their second album so they go from being as i say fairly traditional death thrash band with a touch of like the kind of british doom sound Two, with Crest of the Grotesque, they take on a massive kind of groove metal influence in places, start doing really kind of varied stuff with the vocals, like adding in sort of cl proper clean singing, spoken word parts. There's way more keyboards on this one, and just far more varied kind of musical tones throughout. For the ten tracks, they move through a lot of... Um, 
a lot of different styles. And actually, what's really funny is looking at the two album covers, this one has one that looks kind of quite naff and like early death metal, whereas the second one looks kind of a bit more advanced. So I, I definitely would have um, would have assumed they'd come out the other way around. So there's still the core of that kind of early British death metal, like late British thrash sound they have going on. And if you're not too familiar with the British thrash scene, we always kind of did it weird here, right? They sing about British thrash bands, like, not in a bad way, but they don't quite sound right. If you hear someone like Sabbath, who were a massive influence on Gamora, featuring Andy Sneap on guitar, they're so kind of ethereal and odd for a thrash band, like, taking on all these kind of, like, folky influences. Gamora don't have that so much, but there's... Just, there's something always strange about his bands, which I, to one extent always makes them stand out to me. So with Carissa Grotesque, we, we get that kind of mixture of, you know, that slightly oddball British death metal. But then, as I say, like, oddball British groove metal, which, again, not something I've... I'm not even familiar with that as a genre at all. I don't... I, it must have existed, but um, something I totally missed it. So, um... It starts out very strong, Opener Perfection Dies is kind of would fit quite well with a lot of the first album, far more kind of riffy, quite fast track, lots of kind of really flashy lead guitar work. The two guitarists have really kind of stepped up their game um, on this one. Oh, actually, Mike uh, Pryor is, is credited as the sole lead guitarist, whereas Jose Griffin's just rhythm guitar. So, well, anyway, the lead guitar has really stepped up his game. I guess the riffing has got got more impressive as well but then things take a slightly odd turn particularly on track three uh mastery infinity and separation and this is the moments where the album doesn't quite work for me for like as much as i love it i there's like two or three songs i'd probably skip on it um and this is one of them at its worst it sort of sits somewhere between sort of the, the Pantera influence riffing, and then into almost like Faith No More funk metal stuff with like that kind of um, really groovy bass work over kind of sort of more simplistic guitar stuff with that the slightly, you know, Mike Patton esque rapping delivery. That this song really doesn't work for me, but what I'd say is don't let you don't let that put you off because the album then gets really good after that one. Particularly tracks like Feed on Me and Driven Hard do some amazing stuff. Feed on Me goes into like a a very kind of technical kind of death metal section in the middle where like the guitar work really shines through. Then Driven Hard is one that essentially the ballad of the album where I really thought things wouldn't work but actually I find it immensely catchy. It's still kind of heavy in the verses but the chorus um Sven has gone into like full-blown clean vocals um giving it this kind of massive hook but I think it kind of gets away with it because it keeps a bit of that sort of doom influence they had on that one track on the first album so there's i don't i don't know it, it gives it a level of kind of uh melancholy that just about makes a ballad acceptable in this kind of context and then we get more of a variation as things goes on like 33 utopia sings a bit close to the groove metal again but then tracks like mask and triggered from the end get far more um far more back into the heavy territory even even though mask does include like a, a whole kind of clean one verse of kind of clean vocals again they kind of work i, I actually think sven had a, a pretty solid singing voice don't know how much i'd like to hear him sing for an entire album but certainly the sparing use of this 
on this album really works. And the thing is, majority is still his great death growl. Like it's that doesn't put me off. Once again, uh, Paul Johnson's doing the production, so it sounds really decent. He's also credited with adding keyboards throughout it. It was this album was significantly more keyboards than the than debut. But overall, like if you enjoy the debut, I'd say everyone definitely start on Reflections of uh, Inanimate Matter. That's the that's the kind of classic. But um, definitely give Caress the Grotesque a go. It's so it's so innately catchy and like sort of. It gets over the fact, like, I, I normally would have nothing to do with groove mess. It's just a genre that doesn't tend to do a lot for me. But then I couldn't describe these songs as, like, a lot of these songs as being anything other than that. Weirdly, it just, this is a very strange album that, yeah, that just works. Sadly, the, that's the kind of the end for Gamora. They didn't really do much after this. As I say, you can go see... Um, we go here, bassist John Clark and uh, vocalist Sven Olofsson in, in both uh, Network and Necropolis, two kind of related projects that are far more sort of technical, but um, more interesting death metal from this period and certainly like, probably even more unique than sort of Gamora's take on things. But yeah, uh, Gamora, amazing sort of short-lived thing where just an incredibly unique band. And I think, I think they're kind of more known just because these albums do still, you know, 25 years after the fact, um, stand out as, as very unique, despite being kind of, you know, into the tail end of the death metal scene, 94 and 96.
So they always say that sort of one of the things that brought death metal down in the 90s was it got too popular and like kind of all the jocks and cool kids who wanted to be tough got into it and it became this kind of watered down kind of you know, similar way to like hardcore's had problems over the years. Well, this next band would definitely not be guilty of that because despite their debut coming out in 1995, they are some of the biggest nerds in death metal I've come across for a while. This is Cordacity with their debut album, The Walelian Wielder Quest. No idea if I'm pronouncing that word right. It is just a string of all the vowels. Um, and, and then also, I can't seem to find it as a word outside of this, this album. And their album very much listens like someone sort of wrote up the the lyrics complete with some voice acting passages to their D&D campaign there is a minute long entry where uh, entry intro called entry where a a character sort of has a back and forth dialogue with someone with a pitch shifted voice sort of talking like a demon about trying to get back to their kingdom um and the lyrics very much continue in this um this kind of vein throughout the album with gigantic song titles stuff like the whimsical cross of enchantment uh civilization of dark light born degradation with dragon blaze on their banners like it's it's very kind of um classical fantasy inspired um the album is also kind of layered in plenty of keyboards and as i say there's a lot of passages of narration, even clean vocals and spoken word sections throughout. But what would take you by surprise probably with all of that is it's still really fucking heavy. Like, incredibly brutal in places. Like, so it's just a very creative death metal album. Maybe not in all the best ways, but I kind of was immensely taken with it. Because as much as, yes, it is nerdy, and if you want to poke fun at that, like I just did, like it's quite easy to mock that kind of sentiment. But actually, I love that kind of stuff, you know. I'm someone who, who collects Warhammer models, so obviously I have time for this level of uh, kind of engagement with your fantasy material. And it seems like they have written out a really interesting story. I, like, one that actually almost verges close to impenetrable going through it. There's so many um, interesting creations in there. I, I assume that they're in creations. I could be missing a load of obvious references to a fantasy property here. I haven't haven't done the Googling necessary, I'm afraid, for any kind of like named characters. But I love that level of commitment and the fact they went through to the point of actually like voice acting in their songs. Because as scary as it is recording vocals, particularly death metal vocals in a studio, if any of you have ever screamed into a mic in front of like a bemused producer, that is a weird thing to do with no backing and kind of very off-putting. Now imagine try voice acting with no backing just to a, a producer who has got no idea what you're doing. I can only imagine how how kind of weird and off-putting that is. So the commitment that they have full acted dialogue sections in this is uh, is pretty amazing. For the for the most part, the music I say it's it's very heavy. It is again not particularly technical. It's actually relatively simplistic, especially for sort of this late in the genre. Like I don't believe the band are bad players in any any regard but they just choose to play a lot slower there's a lot of sections where a huge amount of weight is delivered by one guitar just giving us like a singular power chord while the other plays a riff and the drums take up the more kind of 
powerful end of the end of the mix. Actually, the thing that's a real sledgehammer in this is um, uh, the vocalist guy. His his kind of main growl is very potent. I find it yeah, it's a, like really intense sound and really um, upfront in the mix. And then um, drummer Bert Van Fuen, um it, his drum performance is very heavy, like, you know, and relatively complex, but the mix of the drums makes them so loud and overpowering. I mean, honestly, the drum side is kind of rubbish. Like, I don't know quite what's going on with it, but, like, every part of the kick sounds, the kit sounds so bloody loud that both the kicks and the snare are this immense kind of quite blocky sound, but, like, it really cuts through. And, yeah, as I say, the end result is, although it's not ideal for the mix, the album just sounds very dense. I think the album, despite being a relatively long one, really does hold my attention well because of the other elements they throw in. Like, there's a, there's a host of guest vocalists and, like a lot of different vocal textures going on, even if one of the narrated voices does sound like one of the nerdiest voices I can imagine. Um, the the lead guitar work is very simplistic and restrained, but you get cool moments like uh, uh, tracks like, um, I think it's The Witch's Desire towards the end, where there's a quite cool kind of playoff between that and like the keyboards that are like layered throughout the album. Um, there's just a few things you kind of uh, got to get past with this. Is like that, that drum sound will be immensely off-putting to to a lot of listeners, and you know the concept is not going to work for everyone. Like this kind of thing, I think appeals to a certain a certain group of people. But I, I'd love to see it on display in such an incredibly brutal album. It's something I guess I would more see being the realm of of either power metal or kind of the maybe like the cheesier end of melodic black metal, having that in a, a kind of quite brutal death metal album feels like a very, um, a fairly out there choice. I can't think of another another album that immediately comes to mind that has quite that vibe to it. Also, the album cover's brilliant. It, I don't know what it's got to do with the concept of the album, but it's this amazing kind of like multicolored, like blue, orange and red, like, flowering like mushroom type plant like spreading out in this like really kind of confusing mess it's uh it's a lot to look at so Cordacity went on to do a fair amount more they um they've put up three more albums after this apparently still active although at this stage it's just guitarist uh Vinnie Brondway who's who's still in the band from the original lineup and has got got a relatively new lineup um gathered around him at this point um, I, their last album was out in 2009, but according to Metal Archives, they're still active and have recruited new members in like the last five years. So there might be more coming from them. I've not listened to all of them, but I remember uh, their second album, uh, Whirler of Fate, was um, was really decent. It was less um, less sort of over top in delivery. They'd lost a lot of those those kind of n narrative elements, and also they got a normal drum sound, which. Um, <laughs> which would probably probably a good choice. I don't I don't think this drum sound would would help them in the future as much as I've kind of come to love it on this album. I it's a bit of a shock when you first hear it. Yeah, just a really interesting like take on the genre. And actually, I've got I can't think of a great deal of like older death metal from Belgium. Like, I think my knowledge of the Belgian music scene starts with aborted a Belgium, right? Yeah, like that's kind of the first first sort of extreme metal band I can think of from that.
mentioned many times in this podcast i'm incredibly fond of the band code particularly their um second album resplendent grotesque although actually most of their catalogs absolutely excellent but the reason i reference um resplendent grotesque is i was going through the um the sort of back catalog of vocalist um uh Kavost, or otherwise known as uh matthew mcnerney and came across one of these really early bands who who never got out the demo phase the tragedy Tragedians, um, you're gonna have to Google this one. Trage and then D I A N S. Um, I think it refers to Greek tragedies, I believe. And their, um, I believe their only demo, Krull, um, which is this cool kind of like very rough and ready 35 minute recording. It's not his first band as a vocalist, but um, the previous one, a Vomitorium, not particularly noteworthy. Whereas Kroll felt like something very unique. So whereas sort of Code with their first two albums where um, Kvost was doing vocals was this kind of cool melding of black metal but with him partially going for this kind of very strange clean register. He has an immensely unique and very haunting singing voice. Uh, the Tragedians is um, him doing a kind of same same kind of vocals, but over a far more death metal project. So I'm going to have one more run-up of that band name. It's The Tragedians. No, I, I just can't do it, but that word is <laughs> really hard to say. Anyway, so with this uh, Kroll demo, um, they start out, it's got a kind of overblown intro, which doesn't really go anywhere. But what we get with, say, like the first song proper, um, sort of the birth of tragedy like a big like eight minute epic is this kind of interesting relatively simplistic um death metal where uh matthew goes back and forth between like an at this really high pitch over the top scream and then his more sinister like very like very creepy unsettling clean vocals i don't know quite how to describe them other than they, there's something about them that really really kind of sticks with you like it, it has a, a very strange nature to them i think um a reasonable comparison is like when this this out this demos at its heaviest uh it's got some akakokerisms unsurprisingly both being sort of british bands but um i think it's the vocals that set it apart but there are so many kind of little weird pretentious ideas this band had going on like there's a lot of additional like keyboards and even flute in the in the heavier sections like uh, particularly the particularly the flute feels very out of place on something that's kind of like a quite kind of riffy death metal album otherwise um and this i don't know if i said the year this is all the way back in 1996 so talking more than a decade before um 
before we get to the resplendent grotesque uh, it's like yeah so quite far sort of removed from that point um the the kind of thing that lets us down well, there's a couple of couple of issues there it is a demo it is a relatively new band and, and actually as far as um uh, as far as metal went um most of the rest of this band didn't go on to do anything else uh, keyboard player andrew nicole apparently wrote some uh lyrics for later code i know they always struggled to get lyrics written for their earlier albums but the other three members of the band the bass player drummer and guitarist slash flute player um they don't have any other credits on metal archives i'm not sure if they've done stuff outside this project and we as you'd expect we're bad like kind of that inexperienced like the musicianship isn't exactly top notch like this is rough particularly the drumming has a tendency for the double kicks to sort of wander in and out of time it's not a deal breaker it's not off pudding but it it does mean this isn't the most technical or flashy album you'll ever hear but the the what i i can't get can't believe is the amount cross vocals are just fully formed on this so for those of you who haven't heard me talking about him before, he's also uh, the vocalist for Grave Pleasures, Hex Vessel, previously Beast Milk, um, was vocalist on uh, Dossum's Guard's supervillain Outcast. So this guy is like real kind of metal and goth pedigree. But um, yeah, we've with this one, uh, he, his voice is already there, like years and years before any of these other albums. He already has this amazing, totally unique clean vocal approach. And actually, his screams are just as good. There's, um, like, there, there's back and forth in this where, like, some ideas don't quite land as much as others. There's, there's a lot of, like, interlude tracks. Um, uh, like, and much like the intro, like, the intro does nothing for me, and a lot of the interludes don't. Um... I'd say actually the one towards the end, sympathy to Mamalius, um, is kind of cool, even though it does sound like the kind of uh, interlude music from the Snuffbox. If any of you seen that Matt Berry, Rich Fulcher sketch show, like some of the music in that, <laughs> this sounds quite similar to. And actually towards the end of the album, uh, I think it's a track Stone Blind has like Andrew Nicol, the keyboard player, really goes for this like warrior on the edge of time style keyboard stuff over the death metal piece, which um, which was kind of an an interesting take. The lyrics are far more kind of nerdy and less um, ethereal than a lot of Foss stuff. Like there, there's a whole section towards the end of the the, the demo. Where it's quoting from, uh, I believe David Lynch's Dune. I don't know that this is actually in the book of um, it is by will, it is by will and will alone that I set my mind in motion. I think that's just a quote from the film, but uh, people who are more familiar with Dune will probably correct me on that. But yeah, so it, it's it's you know it's it's wearing like it's kind of like sci-fi influences on its sleeve as well as obviously you know band name being a reference to uh, to sort of. Um, Greek tragedies and so on. So there's 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 a lot of varying themes going on. I think as well, like the covers, like looks kind of, I I don't know. I I, I guess like kind of a medusary reference, but yeah, it's a weird one. But anyway, this is something. If you have enjoyed any of those bands I've referenced him being in the past, go back and check out this demo because it's really interesting to see where that kind of sound came from this far back, this many years before sort of he really got successful. And also just like 
this still stands as a very unique death metal album. So it's got leanings towards bands like Code and Akakaka, but it doesn't have any black metal in it. So it sort of stands alone in that. I would I would have loved to have... I'd still actually love to hear him attempt something in this vein more professionally now, doing something that's somehow fused, like, death metal folk and his voice like this, like they attempted to on this, this demo. Like... To that with a better production, slightly tighter playing, and you know, trimming the fat off the songwriting could be very interesting. But I doubt he'd be interested in going back to that style now. I realize uh, with these episodes, I like overly focus on '90s death metal because that is my musical comfort zone. I do love talking about it, but there is plenty of brilliant death metal that is, especially actually early 2000s stuff that is very kind of underground and doesn't get the the spotlight it truly deserves um so i'm gonna try and make an effort with this episode to throw in a few few arms from the the mid 2000s as well like I, I think there's there's a lot of um cool stuff to uncover there that doesn't quite isn't old enough to get the love of the 90s stuff because it's you know it does early 2000s still doesn't feel truly old despite the fact you know i was like 12 years old <laughs> at that point in time or um yeah all the newer stuff that obviously you know Every year you get the big roundup and stuff gets picked up there. So if you you miss out on that kind of sweet spot, like some albums do get a, a bit uh, buried under the carpet. Uh, a project that's sort of really interesting that started up at least in that kind of time period is the one-man project Crypticus. Um, main guy behind it, uh, Patrick Bruce, um, recently uh, interviewed on Heavy Hole. It was amazing multi-instrumentalist, producer all-round horror movie and death metal enthusiast and what he's done with their their debut the album we're going to be talking about from crypticus uh dedicated to the impure is a really lovely fusing of two genres of brutal death metal and osdm like his stuff seems to fit in this really nice kind of melding of those two i don't know why that that sound like really appeals so he's taken the kind of very much riffing of the earlier death metal scene but really focus that. So his songs, they are just riffs. Like there, there is no no kind of meanderings into proggy territory. But that brought in with kind of a more brutal death metal production and a very like later nineties, early two thousands brutal death metal voice. Like he has got that that low guttural that wasn't quite there in the the like for a lot of bands in the earlier days of. Um, of death metal and he, like his his vocal delivery i love this really fantastic like low real gurgle like there's a lot of <laughs> for want of a better word there's a lot of texture to his vocal delivery um this album and the few others i've listened to um i, I need to familiarize myself with the entire catalog he's, he's put out five albums now and twice that in eps um is they like has a really great kind of uh flow to this album i think this is a style he sort of leans into of very short to the point songs like most of them not coming in over like two and a half minutes just this cool collection of couple of riffs that flow, flow amazingly into each other but not only do the songs flow like really nicely the whole album it has just a totally logical progression it does something i really like where it's kind of like 
every song will sort of take off on the chord the previous one ended in or like the ending of a song will be completely complementary the intro to the next so the album has this completely logical progression where you're not ever picking out one song as an amazing moment it's just like oh that was a cool riff but otherwise this is just like continuous journey i'm completely kind of engaged in also nice and short just uh, around half hour runtime which for something where you're not stepping outside of just it's death metal and no frills like to the core like half an hour is a great runtime for that it's just brilliant riff after brilliant riff like the only departures from death metal riffing are a few of the classic staples of the genre of couple of horror movie samples, a couple of uh, horror movie style keys added over the top of things, but for the most part, you know what you're getting into with this kind of sound. Um, the the production to it re like really works well. It's it's quite raw. I think it's one of the I think it's one of the earlier albums he's sort of done the full kind of uh, production and mix for. So it's it's a little rough, but considering it's him playing everything, like the guitar has a really great tone to it. The it's early 2000s program drums, and they sound pretty good. You can tell they're programmed, but it's not it's not offensive by it, by any means. Like I, I thoroughly enjoy like like the tone of this album, and I, I think a lot of that is is helped by yeah that really nice guitar tone, absolutely front and center with the with the vocals. So anything else that would seem lacking. There's no reason to be focused on it. So I alluded to at the start, um, he's also involved in the kind of mixing side of things for a lot of a lot of bands, particularly in the more brutal ends of things. Uh, bands like uh, Cyanide, um, Decrepitaph, he, he's done a lot of the sort of mixing and mastering of recently. Uh, if you've got the kind of older remaster, like, well, more recently released, I guess, remasters of the two Impetigo albums, that's, that's his work remastering them. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of cool kind of, I guess like yeah, last ten years sort of brutal death metal stuff. The guy really knows his stuff on that front. And if you uh, follow him on Twitter or like YouTube, he has his um, Mega Tens in Brutality uh, sort of YouTube channel show where he he sort of reviews up and coming. Um, particularly like the really hefty end of brutal death metal and that's where i got a lot of my my better brutal death metal recommendations like he he knows his stuff on that front so yeah definitely someone worth following from from that point of view as i say i need to go for his discography a lot more i've only really started listening to crypticus stuff in the last like two years and the He's got myriad releases. I wouldn't say the the debut is necessarily the best. It's just one that sort of recently has really grabbed my attention. The latest EP, The Recluse, is really strong stuff as well, and definitely definitely worth your time. <laughs> Thank you.
So crawling right back into my comfort zone with this next one, this is Magnus from Poland with their second album, 1992's I Was Watching My Death. Another kind of death thrashy one, this one. Um, and they're a band, particularly like with their early work, I can't help but compare to Vader, like a uh, country mate who sort of came from that sort of almost pre-death metal scene doing some very thrashy stuff but then incorporated kind of more and more of the death metal elements into their sound to create this kind of immensely brutal version of Death Thrash. I think uh, they're probably most famous for their debut album, Scarlet Slaughterer, which is really cool. Uh, just for me, I was watching my death. Um, I, it sounds like a slightly more polished version of that sound. I guess with Scarlet Slaughterer, it came out all the way back in 1989, so it's a fairly early album from the scene. So obviously he's got a bit more legendary on that front. So so this album should grab a lot of listeners straight away because it starts with this kind of like melodic guitar intro and then this high-pitched scream that would put Tom Araya on Angel of Death to shame. Like his squeal goes on and on at such a ridiculous pitch. And as the screen sort of fades out, heavy riffing comes in and... Yeah, the the I was watching my death just gets intense from that moment onwards. Um, they, they've got an interesting, like, uniqueness to them. Uh, Rob Bandit, the vocalist, has such a like noticeably unique vocal delivery. Actually, much like again, Vader it has that similar edge to Peter from it, where he's very fast, like, um, very kind of gruff, but there's also like a a sort of degree of clarity to it. It's not what I would traditionally call a death metal scream. It is it's almost something like like kind of sounds like a almost proto scream, like those kind of uh, later thrash bands that are starting to get really heavy. I kind of uh, see Peter from Vader's vocals in that way as well. I don't mean that as any kind of an insult. It's just it kind of sounds like a sound before the um, what was thought of as a death metal vocal got kind of codified. Uh, and yeah, that, for that reason, like I think it, uh, I don't know, it really appeals uh, appeals to me as just yeah, sounding like from a time before almost. Um, the the kind of riffing is what you expect from as I say, heavy end of death rush. It is a a band that very much heard Slayer and were just like yeah, let's just do that, but like a bit more brutal and that, that's pretty much what we get throughout um the guitars actually do lean into melodic solos a lot more than slayer they're like they're not you know they're not full-blown kind of ingui mound scene moments but like they are there's not too much like the the kind of dive bomb random noise attacks like they, these do feel like more thought out bits of lead guitar um and just a fairly punishing album throughout it's 11 tracks but it's like under 40 minutes so it's another like super to the point but i find them um kind of interestingly structured there's a lot of variation throughout these tracks but they just go hard and heavy throughout uh rob bandit is particularly varied on this actually as well i find uh and his kind of vocal delivery really helps because he does a lot of a lot of different styles that all sound fairly proto-death metal, but in different ways. He tries a lot of different, all incredibly gruff deliveries with that occasional ridiculous high-pitched shriek thrown in there. Um, guitarist Python, actually, is also credited with some vocals. I don't know how much is, is him and how much is Rob, but uh, yeah, whatever, the, the vocals sound really cool. 
uh, they have a cool stage in this. There's a great video, like a really well shot video of them performing um, the track The Dictator off of this album uh, in the year it came out, 1992, where like the, the kind of trademark thing about this band is they come out on stage covered in like Niflheim levels of spikes and cool belts and bits of bits of leather armor and particularly vocus rob who's not playing another instrument he's caked in these giant like you know two inch long nails through leather armor all the way up his arms like yeah seriously dangerous looking stage gear um incredibly over the top also funnily enough like they're one of those bands where like half of them are really into the stage gear and the other half are, like jeans and t-shirts so it's an interesting approach definitely a little bit uh proto black metal in that regard like they're having having like that full kind of stage armor i i really like it but yeah again some some might find that cheesy like i get the whole delivery of this is is somewhat cheesy a lot of that that proto death metal um has that element to it because because they they kind of they're leaning into being as extreme as possible and obviously 30 years removed from the fact um it's no longer quite as extreme but it, uh, the album is still immensely catchy it's still like a really super fun listen um uh and also like lyrically like it's not particularly complex i get the impression like english wasn't a language they were totally uh fluent in but there's a lot of varying themes they managed to work kind of some cool like anti-fascist and anti-war lyrics in there as well as just your usual kind of more more aggressive like uh just death and destruction type themes like the album covers very much leans into that with this like the giant pile of skulls in the desert although definitely a step up from their original one the scarlet slaughterer which is like <laughs> on a par well it's better than that but it is it's almost as bad as that pantera cover for the the very poorly drawn figure just <laughs> just dominating the middle of an album cover also i'm sure magnus never did themselves a lot of favors with that name it doesn't really stand out as that brutal in the the kind of growing realm of of death metal that would have been happening at that time so they they kept going for my album uh alcoholic suicide in 1994 which I don't think quite holds up to the first two. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have so many of like the standout tracks. Like with this, we've got stuff like uh, Psychosis, The Dictator, Gods of Crime. It's got so many really immediately catchy songs. I felt that was somewhat lacking on the last one, but they did reform in 2010 and are still going. Um, and put out a new album in 2010 with a relatively uh, revitalized lineup. Uh, Acceptance of Death, which I haven't managed to get around to yet, but definitely want to check out um and yeah they're definitely a band i'd like to see live i'd love to i'd love to see them in all that armor and action Nothing more! 
more albums I want to cover today, so I'm going to try and rattle through these next few a bit faster. So the next two were um, sort of recommended to me by Hank Steamer of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast. He got in touch after the episode I did uh, with Heavy Hole and sent me a link to this amazing um, Bandcamp page of Dark Blasphemy Records. Um, they're a Spanish label according to their, their page, uh, focused on the best style of death metal, rotten and old school. And they have got this absolute treasure trove of re-released kind of, like a lot of its sort of demo collections or sort of um, older albums with lower distribution. Some kind of newer stuff in there as well, but there's a lot of cool stuff in there of like slightly older bands like putting together a digital re-release of it and the first of the two i want to cover on this page probably could have chosen like 20 but i've, I've settled on these two in the end is the japanese band maggoty corpse and their the compilation they put out is called requiem but it's a collection of their uh, first two demos and the two splits the band did over their their very short sort of lifespan so they started in roughly 91 seemed to break up somewhere around 93 94 um, as a Japanese bass, but you wouldn't like necessarily spot that from the sound. Although I think um, mentioned that heavy hole episode, like Will's brought up many times, Japan's always had a very healthy um, death metal scene and, by extension, grind scene as well. In fact, these two, um, these two, two members of this band uh, went on to be in Clotted Symmetrical, Sexual Organ, and uh, Butcher ABC. So, you know, bands that like, kind of did have a lot more success after this, this incredibly short-lived project. But this one, like, this is absolutely, this Requiem comp compilation is absolutely brilliant. Like, it's amazing for those two very short demos, uh, Forests of Dismembers, Flesh from 1992, and Baptisma from 93. So Forests of Dismembered Flesh is kind of the um, the more simplistic of the two two releases. Like you you can you can sort of tell the difference. Um, the both releases have this excellent, really gross guitar tone. The musicianship throughout is really impressive. It's incredibly fast, very tight for uh, for for kind of demo material, and there's actually some really kind of like face melting solos uh, in there. Although they don't uh, like stray away from having some great dive bomb stuff in there as well. Um, yeah, these these sound amazing for demos. Like they're the another one of those bands where the demo material near enough like. If it just had a slightly better mastering and uh, twice as many tracks would have would have happily been released as a full length album, and now we have exactly that with the sort of requiem uh, compilation. Um, it's like that's the thing. Like I say, the musicianship isn't overly flashy. It's just because like it's so fast, it's so tight. Particularly the drum performance is really solid and really quick which gives us this like amazing like urgency in all these songs like it it's a very immediate album like like all of this like kind of really absorbed very quickly like all the elements are so good the vocals are evil as hell i, I don't don't know quite what it is between the um so three members of the band do vocals and all of them just sound absolutely horrible on this uh satoshi yoshinda the the main vocalist sadly isn't isn't credited with anything else past this this little release but yeah absolutely love his voice on it they've got um a great cover for the reissue as well which is um i it's it's a, a classic choice of going for 
a corner of a like an interesting corner of a massive Bosch painting that particular image you might be familiar with of Jesus kicking down the the doors to hell and sort of crushing a load of uh, strange Bosch like creatures in, in his way. The the only thing that sort of like I guess maybe elevates one half of this from the other is with the the first demo I found it a little more to the point whereas the Baptisma second demo they get into the realm of including a lot of samples in the music and they don't all work so well. The only the only part of it actually kind of is kind of cool on the the track uh Pangra Ceremonia there's some like sampled screams that sort of come in over the outro. That sounds pretty cool. In the other sections, especially when arranged into like this new sort of album format, they kind of just a break in the pace. But it's it's a minor thing. Um, I, I don't feel I really hold it against it. And looking back at the originals, like actually that that choice of a Bosch work for the overall cover seems like pretty cool because they've always had this aesthetic of taking taking like kind of cool ancient artwork for their demo covers. Which, I don't know, it's cool. I, I liked when Celtic Frost did it. They definitely works for Maggoty Corpse, even um, <laughs> even if they do have more of a a kind of, um, well, a name like Maggoty Corpse, more of a kind of silly death metal vibe to them. Although, actually, I think um, from, from the titles and stuff, it seems like the lyrical uh, stuff is actually deeper deeper than that would seem unfortunately because it's band camp only i can't actually see the lyrics on any of this stuff but um uh like yeah there's not a great this is the only downside to uh dark blasphemy's uh re-releases is they're they're fairly sparse on information i feel it would be nice to have like a pdf included of some information about the bands but i'm just happy to have have a format of this music where i can easily access it and honestly we're saying like maggoty corpse Totally would have missed it if it wasn't for this re-release. So please do go over to the Bl Blasphemies Records page and check the stuff out there. Oh, and definitely go check out Heavy Metal Bebop. Like, I can't, I can't thank Hank enough for this recommendation. It's been, yeah, immensely fun going through this stuff. I'm a little bit, but 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 I
So, um, following on from that, another one from uh, from that same label. This is the Czech Republic band Morbidia with their one and only album When Darkness Returns from 2009. So, much later album than most of us usually cover on this. But my fucking God, is this some, like, true Swedish death metal worship? Again, a sound that's somewhat played out, but... These guys had it down and had it down better than many very early on. So Czech Republic-based bands, um, they're three members. Like Again, I'm going off Metal Archives. I've not been able to find much else about this this band. Uh, just Dan, uh, Milan, and Andra are not credited with um, <laughs> with names, uh, like surnames even, um, have no other credits other than this album and a string of demos leading up to it. So weird one. The band has apparently been active since 1992, released like eight demo recordings and then this one full-length album no idea what the demo recordings are like again like i've I've only heard the full length but my god i although it took them about 15 years to get to their full length it was worth the wait like this is just this done to an absolutely t like it's it's got that incredible like swedish buzz or sound but the kind of it's the take on the Mormon taking that sound that I really like where they totally get the bass guitar right like they I don't know what pedals you meant to use for Swedish death metal bass I know you know you got the HM2 obviously for the guitar but I don't know what you put the bass through and they they kind of create this massive wall of noise this huge like really thick fuzzed out low end just fills out that HM2 sound so well it makes for just a really powerful take on it. For me, this album sort of sound-wise sits somewhere between like a band like Death Evocation, who took that like Swedish sound and really focused on the lead elements of it, then a band like say Facebreaker, who took the very hefty kind of end of that sound and well made that sound kind of more hefty, like turned it towards that very brutal like rhythmic low end stuff. Morbidius see in the middle of that like they have the great lead work but they also have far more of a punch to them than um than death evocation but much like death evocation this is another band where they've just absolutely nailed the sound like the the riff writing is spectacular and it's short runtime this album is just endlessly catchy like i and it's a style i kind of Think I'm every so often I think I'm sick of, and then we'll come across something like this and be like absolutely blown away by just another group's take on that kind of um, that kind of you know subject matter, and it, it it's totally entombed worship. Um, entombed worship with touches of a lot of the stuff that came late in the scene. Like um, actually, there's a lot as well as I say something like phrase breaker. It's got a lot in in common with, say, some of uh, Lord K's more brutal work, like Torture Division or Cadaver Gold's God Among Incidents, that kind of thing. Sorry, sorry, totally lost where my train of thought was going there. Um, there's some cool other stuff in this album. You get the Beyond the Gates instrumental in the middle of the album, which is the one kind of nod to a longer song, which is this really cool thing where it just keeps building up this one riff, like adding loads more like lead passages and, and extra stuff on top of this like, central theme, which, uh, yeah, is one of the kind of cooler moments of the album. But, say, like, if you like Swedish death metal riffing, these guys do it amazingly. It sounds brilliantly. There's a, there's a dissection cover at the end of the album, which is fine, but, you know, you're never going to prove on the dissection original. Like, um... 
but you know, it's it's the end. You can look at it as a bonus track. Mainly, it's just a shame that like, this this seems to be all we we'll get for the band. Because like, when Darkness Returns is, it's just such solid stuff. I was um, I was amazed at the kind of uh, of the quality of it. But yeah, apparently the band is still active. There's only one one sort of original member of of the three guys, but. Yeah, once again, a nod to Czech Republic's immense uh, music scene that often seems to uh, get forgotten about in, in the scheme of great European countries for metal. recommended to me by uh, Michael Tote who was on a few episodes ago for discussing some of his favourite Mexican metal bands and not too far removed from that we have Portugal's For Men For with their one and only album Abstract Divinity from 1994 so this is right at my street um, the opening track uh, Abstract Divinity really goes in hard that kind of early cynic kind of atheist actually more pestilence actually kind of vibe to it very kind of complex weird quite high tuned like kind of probably in standard tuning kind of um but very strange death metal like yeah someone puts me in mind like the later cynic demos like there's touches of jazz in the composition not to the extent of atheist and it's not quite as showy as atheist or as kind of light and airy as cynic uh especially cynic around um focus era maybe more think cynics later demos um but yeah but like i think pestilence consuming impulse there's there's a bit of that kind of sound to it it's it's enough and you know 1994 completely contemporary with those bands the this sort of portuguese four piece were doing something very complex and weird so they'd been going since 87 apparently and like had a fairly fairly involved build up to this with a couple of demos an ep and a couple of splits so you know they're clearly putting the work in to get to this point but what they what they're doing on this this album is amazingly unique and weird i've used all those bands to kind of put you in mind of the sound that's a, that, that'll give you a picture of like the the kind of production and maybe maybe some of the riff choices but like everything about this is pretty damn weird and 
a couple of tracks in, you suddenly get where it's all coming from. So the lineup like appeared to be a very young lineup of Portuguese musicians. Um, they got two vocalists in the band trading off, uh, Yao Paulo Diaz and Miguel Fonseca. Um, both, yeah, just uh, both having quite different deliveries. And it's when, I don't know which of the two of them does this voice, but it's when the second voice comes in, it's sort of the oddness of this album clicks. Um, it's, I think it's on track two, the potential dream we suddenly get these clean vocals that sound very very reminiscent of snake from voivod and that's where it all clicks like oh yeah the the guitar work there's a lot of piggy worship going in the guitar work like those kind of weird chord shapes very strange progressions and i think like that Voivod influence is probably present in a lot of those bands I've referenced before. Um, there's clearly a lot of nods to the like, you know, well-established death metal scene as well. In there, this is this is certainly a lot of like kind of. It's more death metal than it, than uh, Voivod ever would be. Um, there's this is certainly a death metal album, albeit a very technical one, um, and it'll be a very technical one in a, in a higher tuning. But just taking that kind of weirdness to the next level, there's it's something as well. Weird. It's kind of a shame, much like Cynic's Focus. It was a shame there wasn't a, a direct follow up to it at the time because it's it's so kind of abstract and weird. I'd love to see where these musicians sort of went um, if they were forced to keep going with this sound. Like there's some ideas that like don't quite kind of get fully realised on it. There's one instrumental track, Nebula, that's just kind of irritating and doesn't quite work but then like there's a really cool change at the end of the album with karma's retribution where things get very slow and doomy and quite kind of like bleak and brutal and there's like this is the only time they do it on the album where they layer the clean and screen vocals over each other so the other vocalist is doing a far more traditional like death metal scream much in the vein of the guy who did the screams for um for cynic actually um and like that layered over like those snake s clean vocals it sounds amazing i wish they'd done more of that whereas like the rest of the album is far more the trade-off is like you know one vocalist does like a whole three minute long section then it goes back to the other guy the the album covers a weird one it's uh kind of a it looks like a kind of color inverted image of a dragonfly on a blue background um not quite sure what aesthetic they're going for there but it did it's sort of cool and it fits with kind of the abstractness of the the music what's quite interesting is sadly this album's really hard to get hold of and even even digitally but their um debut ep dissolving absurd is all re-released on bandcamp you can pick that up quite easily weirdly the ep is sounds like a totally different band like completely unrelated it's very much um I'd say like leprosy era death worship in the riffs, but with these kind of really harsh, like very guttural kind of almost squelchy vocals on them, which works very well with that like leprous riffing sound. Like, but that like that has no bearing on the next album. Like, uh, they they just don't they maintain any any of those sounds. Like the lead guitar sounds totally different. The vocals just unrelated completely. Um, even though it's definitely the same guy doing the doing the screams, um, and yeah, like just the whole thing, just 
they evolved a lot in the three years between these two releases. Yeah, going through this again, it's one of those albums I feel I haven't spent enough time with before listening, like, before reviewing, but, like, the, the structures are so wonderfully complex so many so many things are happening at once they're like very hard to digest songs and things get even more chaotic when we get into like any of the lead passages like some of the the lead guitar work is in, incredibly creative solos they really don't don't fit with anything you expect but yeah like the riffing has that wonderful thing where it's like two guitars doing something quite odd to each other and then there's a bass a little bit buried in the mix and my liking doing something immensely complex and then drummer like never keeping to a standard groove it's yeah really amazingly all over the place also i don't know what's talking about the comparison of the screen vocals they're far lower and harsher than the the kind of the cynic stuff um yeah i haven't got an obvious comparison for the vocalist but the the screams are really good in this and the sound would have been great with just those screen vocals but i feel the the cleans added in there as well sort of give it that edge because particularly like you know snake's delivery and voivol was never um accessible like it's it's certainly not a lean to the melodic this album is incredibly harsh throughout it's not easy listening and coupled with the complexity it's quite a quite a difficult one to get into like as a desperate for a re-release like this feels like it really really could see a lot of popularity these days when you know bands like cynic seem to be seeing a bit of resurgence in popularity um yeah i feel this fits right in along there with some of those those classic releases next i want to move on to one that's a sort of similar time period this is uh 1992 stillbirth machine by order from chaos a kansas city based band who uh went on to put out a few more albums after this one but um one i wasn't so aware of in, until doing the research for this episode this is an incredibly fast, brutal, like just ridiculously overbearing album. I feel like somewhat reminiscent of that Fallen Christ one I covered on an early one of these, where it's just like the primary component is that it's very, very fast and not really all that produced. Like the whole sound of it is incredibly rough. Like the recording quality is just sort of terrible but it kind of works in the band's favor they this they're not a grind band because the songs are too long but they have such a kind of grind aesthetic to them um uh vocalist and bass player peter hellcamp um has a delivery that's somewhat reminiscent of like earlier castle decapitation stuff where he does a lot of like really fast high screaming some super drawn out like low screams that feel like quite at odds with his other vocals and then these almost like spit vocals these kind of really like moist sounding horrible noises he'll throw in every so often and it's all got a bit of a layer of distortion to it the the riffing is just this like kind of so furious complete with the drumming like all of it is such a kind of ridiculously fast pace over the top approach you're not really picking out any individual riffs it's just absolutely um it's just absolute chaos like the their, their band will never live up to their name order from chaos i don't i don't believe there's there's really uh they really manage any order in this now i've said that i'm definitely thinking i am just quoting another podcast here so it's probably heavy hole isn't it like 
Well, whoever covered this before, I'm very sorry. Uh, like, yeah, I really like this album as well. Um, so yeah, sorry if you're hearing this this take for the second time. Yeah, anyway, like it's it's a really it's a really cool release. Like, it doesn't have to stay as well for 35 minutes, but I've seen I saw some comparison like on the sort of YouTube comments on it of um, saying there's like almost like a war metal vibe to it, where it's like that rough and ready. Um, and yeah, that mixed with like the sort of the grindy sound, like I can, I can see that comparison in there. Like just to add sort of insult or injury, all the leads are just like burst of war whammy bar noise. So essentially, they just have the effect of briefly making the album louder. Also, it has the interesting thing of the the cover is the same one as the second Triptychon album that that uh, over the top Geiger picture. Um, yeah. It really fits for this band, but uh, I think I think Triptychon now sort of sort of own that aesthetic. Um, the band are now split up, but as I say, they put out two further albums, Dawnbringer and Ending in Fire, which kind of continue in the same vein, like a still like these absolute like chaotic, hyper fast, rough death metal. Like if you if you want death metal to be that absolute bludgeoning approach, like these guys certainly do it. They their guitarist Chuck Keller had a side project, uh, Volpecula, who that I checked out as well, like sort of in the research for this, and they're pretty cool. But they they were, I mean, possibly a little too on the atmospheric side for me. But I think if you're someone who's very into um, that that kind of um, like. It, like I, I guess like synth-led stuff, um, they'll be well worth checking out. Like I think there's definitely something there. It just wasn't necessarily my go-to genre. I also want to mention the reason I, I kind of remembered this band and included them was I was going through Size Hangman's hymns the other day, and this guy turns up doing a guest solo on it. So once again, uh, Size sort of giving credit and worshiping the old school like sort of death metal like even, you know, in the mid-2000s, uh, which, yeah, why I respect that band so highly. Right, we should probably move on to the final final band I'm going to cover today, then. So this one was recommended to me by uh, Jake Walters, actually through the Into the Combine Backstage Lounge, so if you're not on that podcast Patreon, you're missing out on all these great recommendations until I later steal them and pass them off to my own thing, so... Thanks a lot for that, Jake. But yeah, this is Migos uh, with their one and only album, Open Season. So the name is M-I uh, apostrophe uh, G-A-U-S-S. And they're a yeah, short-lived band from Pennsylvania. Um, and Open Season like just came out after sort of two demos in 2002. So another another one from that kind of yeah forgotten age of really cool death metal when it was very underground and weird and these guys certainly have a weird aesthetic like something i know straight away is the the band photo is the three members of the band in the woods wearing these massive spiked gauntlets uh think sort of goat whore style all carrying hunting rifles like yeah basically black metaled up for a hunting trip which is um uh <laughs> really interesting um they the kind of sound of this album i found very interesting. It's another one where they've sort of combined together a few things, and the, the things they've combined in this is death metal and stoner metal with maybe maybe little touches of black metal. Um, it's like at its core, it's a death metal album. There's there's kind of that 
heavy uh heavy death metal riffing with like sort of lower guttural vocals but every so often we get like uh guitarist barry mull who's also lead vocalist uh come in with these immensely blues influenced solos like you know it's that kind of reference of stoner rock where it's going all the way back to sabbath they're these very iomi led like style leads and they really pulls them off with with a great degree of ability like the opening track has an amazing solo in it like that's one of the things that really hooked me off the very strange brilliant but just very odd intro um yeah, Barry Mole's guitar work on this is, is kind of exceptional. She's interesting as well because a lot of the band don't appear to have done a huge amount outside of it. He's got, um, he's got I think, still active project, uh, Molasse Barge, which is more of a stoner project I've not listened to. Also, two of the members of this band were briefly in Rotrevor, but so they weren't in the Iniquitous, um, like their classic 93 album. So, you know, slight detour here. Roger Vaughan probably would be worried through this series if they weren't kind of as famous as they are. Um, they're one of the very early bands pushing the ultra-brutal low vocals in death metal. I think one of the few things that held them back from being much more successful is the incredibly ridiculous cover that album has. But yeah, Iniquitous, absolutely fantastic death metal record. Definitely go check that one out as well. Um, but yeah, outside of outside of those two bands, like not really credited with a great deal which is a shame because this is a a really really well put together release and something that stands as incredibly unique um the it's it's another album like kind of like audacity where it's a little bit overpowered by the very triggered kicks and i mean some of this is it's a 2002 album i i think like triggers did sound or 2003 like triggers did sound a bit weird at that point in time but like actually the whole sort of approach of this whole sound of this like feels it's it's really hard to place because i put it on without um without sort of looking up the date of it i really thought this is gonna be a late 90s release rather than early 2000s like this band do seem kind of a bit out of like in the wrong time zone like this might have worked really well if it had come out in the classic 90s era. Or, you know, they might have crucified back then for including all that kind of um, stoner and Black Sabbath kind of stuff in their sound. But the riffing is is very reminiscent of the sort of older wave of death metal. I don't think these were guys taking influence and say that later brutal kind of like New York sound or anything like that. I don't, I don't think that's um, really fit in there. There's a couple of other interesting additions on this, like um, the screens don't entirely sit in that low register. He also throws in these kind of almost like uh, first down machine head, like Rob Flynn style, uh, like not cleans, whatever you call that thing Rob Flynn does, the sort of sing scream. And in this it really works with those slightly more melodic touches the album has. Um, like, yeah, that, that kind of slight cleanness in the vocals really really adds to it like there's actually this album i should say is it maintains a level of quite like a high brutality throughout despite kind of all those divergences off like it's it's quite a punishing listen i think some of that is the way it's recorded but it you know it is also a lot of death metal riffs it just 
occasionally has these diversions, these these strange um, sort of slightly left field inclusions. The fact like we have uh, the track on this day, which has has like a bass solo in it, which is a rarity in a kind of uh, <laughs> like this this kind of style of death metal. Um, I haven't mentioned yet yeah, the the bass player on this album, uh, Fred Smith, has has real high level of skill. Like he. He puts in. He doesn't like cut through the mix that often with that quite hefty drum sound. But when he does, he's often putting something really interesting in there. Oh, and then the album takes like a total left turn towards the end with within the mists, uh, blizzards of Fyak. Um They go into full Sabbathy jam because um, the, the bass player is a pick player. They, this is where like it's definitely meant to be reminiscent of like you know the the kind of end of war pigs t- style jam. Like they're totally going for that kind of sound and. The guitar playing is spot on, fits exactly at the style. The bass playing, like, all the notes, everything's there, but because it's a pick bass rather than finger style, it has a bit more twang than you'd expect. That works. Not a problem at all. But this is the thing I've, I've noticed, and I'm sure I've mentioned plenty of times on the uh, on the podcast before, is, like, drummers just can't do Bill Ward in metal. It's, like, people who do the real stone and stuff, like, they'll do albums that are full-blown Sabbath worship, but the drums just never sound anything like Bill Ward. If you can say a band like Reverend Bazaar, huge Sabbath fans in terms of their riffing, but the drums are always that very straightforward, like, like just, like, often very simplistic, um, whereas Bill Ward has all this jazz and weirdness in there, and it's it's funny that, like, I guess stoner bands don't have that level of, of training or, or just even interest in that style, which means they're never quite able to recreate a sound and this is just another one of those examples doesn't matter it's it's not a problem i just wanted to bring it up because i've always felt it was it was an interesting an interesting point um yeah there's also some really interesting stuff going on lyrically with this album um uh like i i haven't done the reading basically i i need to um uh like i i I wouldn't want to delve into it now because i'm just going to make an arse of myself but i think there's there's something very interesting lyric lyrically happening in this album so this is definitely one to get into because there's a lot of hidden depth to it i think um a lot more to enjoy um yeah it's it's just stands alone as a real oddball album from that kind of early 2000s period which i think for many like yeah could quite easily kind of get lost and I, i'm really happy jake brought this one to my attention i yeah i, I absolutely loved it um it's it's flawed it's it's certainly not not a perfect album but it's so unique it more than makes up for for any kind of um you know imperfections in the recording or the mix like they they Mikas was certainly on to something unique with open season and it's a shame this seems to be when the brand brought that sound to a close because again that, that kind of genre mix felt um felt kind of unique right that's an hour and a half of me me talking so i think that that's probably pretty enough of these albums for now uh yeah as i say i probably won't do another one of these death metal gems album episodes for for ages now if if i ever come back to it like i've enjoyed them but i've pretty overused the formula um although i still like the music so if you've got got an album you think will would fit in with this format particularly stuff that came out from like the early 90s that is a bit more underground like particularly like stuff like the for Memphis one which you know south american i've not checked out enough from that scene i'm sure there's loads of other 
brilliant hidden ones like that do hit me up with it the next episode i want to do is um one in the style of when i was doing the review of the decade i did a load of episodes looking at a particular year and i, I did like a sort of a top 15 for them i think what i might do is i'm going to go back to the start of uh, i'm going to go back to year 2000 for the next episode and look at releases from the year 2000 and not going to put me in any order of ranking because i think i drove myself mad doing that last time but use that as a template to look at sort of trends in the genre in genres at that point in time sort of compare what was popular versus things that like slipped under the radar just as a kind of I don't know, look into the history of what was going on there. So yeah, if you've got any albums from the year 2000 you'd really like me to cover, ones I may have missed, or actually even really popular ones that you want me to get to, uh, yeah, let me know. Uh, you can get in touch, um, philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com if you want to email philsbreakfastmetal uh, uh, on Facebook, uh, at breakfastmetal on, on Twitter. Yeah, if you want to get in touch, like hit us up on any of those platforms happy to discuss this and if you have ideas of stuff you want me to cover please let me know i'll have to do like a kind of uh listener suggestion episode at some point as well but yeah i think the next one will be based on stuff in the year 2000 see see how it goes like i don't know whether i'll turn it into a series doing the whole decade like i did last time or if um or if i get bored after one episode we'll we'll see how the listening uh, pans out for that one anyway thanks a lot for listening <laughs> Thank you.